welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am your host, Matt Guest. With me out in his Shohei Otani Japanese. What do they call them? The uh the samurai what? The samurai soldiers out there in Japan. I forget what the name is. It says on your shoulder, but uh is Matt Morris. What's up, bro? Does it actually <laughs> say Samurai Japan? Is I that think maybe just the samurai? I remember in the WBC it was uh it was something. Well, he's uh, he's with us in in spirit today with the jersey, and uh, I have you know my wonderful Shohei signed photo. It's becoming a shrine at this point. Um, the shrine after, is fun. The shrine is fun. After tonight, I mean, let's be real. I think that's probably how we should be treating Shohei Otani. I mean, what two home runs, ten strikeouts? It's getting a little absurd at this point. It's getting absurd. Yeah. Um, we've got a super fun episode today. We're gonna be going over some fun stats throughout the MLB season thus far. A couple, I think three players to be exact that we're going to highlight throughout the episode today and some of the historic things that they're doing and potentially, you know, Hall of Fame type of Cooperstown seasons that we're seeing out of three guys. One of them, spoiler alert, is Shohei Otani. Um, Talk a little bit about the leaders of the MLB wins, home runs, hits, average, things like that, just to get the viewers caught up a little bit about where we are in the season as we are. Today's June 27th that we're recording. The podcast will be out a little bit before the 1st and 4th of July here next week. And, um, you know, it's it's full baseball season. We're in full swing right now. And it's it's time to get the viewers up to date and talk a little bit about some of these teams and some of the fun stuff. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to get into some more football you know i think we took last week off uh we talked about the nfc north and our green bay packers division two weeks ago we're gonna stay in the north but stick to the afc north and eh, you know if you've been around for a little bit my second favorite team that i root for i have their picture up there but also the team that's really pulling at my heartstrings the cincinnati Bengals. so um it'll be really fun we got a loaded episode for you guys today i'm i'm fired up and we're just gonna dive right into the baseball talk because we don't want to take up too much of your time as the listener here. So Matt, I'm going to pass it over to you before we get into some of these records and potential hall of fame type of things that we're going to see out of the season this year. Let's break down the leaders in major league baseball. Yeah, we're, as you kind of talked about with today's date, 27th, uh, moving into the Marla 28th, we're going to call this kind of our halfway point. We've got teams approaching the, um, 81 game mark or at the 81 game mark. And I, I think it's appropriate, you know, to, to really take a look at what's going on, on around the league and kind of tie that into some of the cool statistics that we have that you just spoke on. So kicking it right off, you know, we're going to look at batting average and we're, we're going to look at the player that is having this historic season. And probably in my recent memory, dating all the way back to Joe Maurer, the closest um, ultimate competition for the elusive 400 average on the season Luis Arias for the Marlins. Uh, big acquisition. They traded Pablo Lopez in the offseason for him. He's batting a nice 399 as of today. Pretty incredible. Um, I, again, can't remember any, anyone other than Mauer that really went after this mark. And if you look at it just in raw numbers, coming in second is Ronald Acuna at 330. You're talking about almost a 70 point jump and gap in between one and two. And I mean, that's just incredible. Um, and to kind of wrap on the average, you and I had talked preseason and on the other show that I do, which is more fantasy baseball driven. I had said, I think this is the year where we have five or six guys that finally pushed the 330 mark. 
you know, we're sitting at three right now that could do it. Boba coming in at 323. So rule changes, no shifts are allowing these players to get back to the foundation, which is the 300 average. And I think we're seeing it at an all time high with Arias. Yeah, I agree. And just to touch on how historic his batting average has been thus far and what he's been able to do is the average is up because he's getting a lot of hits, obviously, right? And a fun thing with Luis Reyes and that batting average is he's just the fourth player in Major League Baseball history. Yes, history with three five-hit games in a calendar month since, well, Dave Winfield, Ty Cobb, George Sisler, and Ichiro Suzuki, Ty, T- Tony Gwynn, Stan Musial, Ty Cobb, all Hall of Fame players. And he's still chasing that. I think he had another pretty good game tonight. He's got a couple more days in the month, but three five-hit games, and he did it on a Friday and a Monday, so he did it in one series, or you know, two of the three in one series. Just incredible stuff. And like you said, with the new rules, this is just... I mean, th- this is unbelievable. We probably won't see this too much, though. Well, and talk about forecasting, projecting. You know, I think that's the new trend of Major League Baseball. It's the new trend in the fantasy world and and really trying to gauge what a player's production will be at their peak production and their peak level. You take a look at Savant, baseball Savant. That is something that we dove deep into last year on an episode. And then you kind of pull up Arias and say, OK, so he's having this historic season. I'm sure we can see it in the data. And you can't. And that's what the beauty for me is, because when I watch him play, he is a professional hitter that takes what's given to him. And it's not the hard hit rate. It's not the barrel percentage. It's really his ability to be productive at the plate, executing ultimately the single greatest form in baseball, which is getting on base and getting a hit. So for example, his hard hit percentage is third percentile in baseball. That's not good. 100th percentile is the best. Zero is the worst. He's at the third percentile. His barrel rate, which should ultimately project towards, you know, getting the ball barreled, having a good hit, having good contact, you know, should lead to more line drives, more power. Not something Arias is known for, but that helps you get on base. It helps you have successful at bats. Fifth percentile. His arm strength, 14 percentile defense doesn't necessarily play into this, but it's an issue he's had his career. He's playing. He's on the field. They're trusting him. He's still, you know, overshadowing his defense with his offense. Um, but the the one key that I really like for Arias, and this is something that will lead to success, is his K percentage. It is the 100th percentile, best in baseball. His whiff percentage, 100th percentile. He has a 4% K rate in the majors. Absolutely astounding. It's 4.9, top 1% of the league. Probably, I'd have to look deeper, but probably the best in the league. Um, this is definitely a player that when you look at in the minor leagues as kind of a projectable player, you're like, oh, I just don't know if he's going to be defensively um, able to stick in it, in it on a team. I don't know if he's going to lead to enough power and enough gap hits. And it's just really nice to see him shattering the profile and really putting together a historic season. I don't think he hits 400, but I also could be wrong because we've been waiting for so long for a player like this to come along and just hit the ball. Yeah, I mean, you see the names kind of at the end of the list that I went over, and it's Tony Gwynn, right? It's Ichiro Suzuki. Ichiro was the last guy that I thought of. I kind of forgot about Maurer um, in his big season that he had in his MVP years that he was playing in Minnesota. But that was Ichiro's bread and butter, man. And we were diving through his stats one night after a podcast, just messing around looking at old baseball stats and the numbers he was putting up and the on-base percentage and average was out of this world. And obviously that's what Tony Gwynn was best known for. 
uh, in his Hall of Fame career. And I, I hope we start seeing more guys like this. I know Acuna is not necessarily um, in the same percentile when it comes to hard hit and barreled balls and different things like that as he's hitting, what, 14, 15 home runs on the season. But having guys that are getting on base – putting the ball in play and ultimately hitting, you know, 320, 330, 390 in a case is going to be obviously a really valuable add to your baseball team, but also something that fans can get behind and draw to as well, because not every fan, not every kid is someone that can hit 400 foot bombs, right? Not every kid is going to be that guy like Ronald Acuna Jr., who's just a freak of nature, or Shohei, right? But what we can be when we're playing in the backyard by ourselves or out there at Little League in high school, whatever it might be, is, hey, just put the ball in play. Give it a chance. Put the ball in left field, right field. Go with the pitch. And uh, I, I love to see that from Arias because we've been missing that the past few years. It's been home run or bust, you know? Well, and, and I think it kind of goes directly back to our conversation that we had coming into the season, which was what do we expect in this new game of baseball now that the rules have changed, right? You and I talked at length, and the ultimate conclusion was, okay, players that are contact hitters and are speed hitters are going to benefit the most from this. They're going to be playing on the field more. They're going to be getting paid. They're going to be vital pieces toward their team's offense. We're seeing it firsthand with Arias, with Asturi Ruiz. You talked about Acuna being an absolute freak. He is. We'll talk about his savant when we get to him. Oh, my God, it's all red. Um, and I, I really do think you, you look at the Corbin Carrolls and you look at the arise and you start to see how these players are being given the opportunity and elevating the game and they're on the leaderboards, right? Like we'll look at stolen bases next, um, uh, because Acuna is, you know, profiled there. Stolen base leader on the year is 40 at a story Ruiz for Oakland, right? A guy that's been traded twice in the last, I would say calendar year going from San Diego to Milwaukee and then Milwaukee to Oakland a big vital piece of that organization with his speed defense is still lacking a little bit power is definitely lacking but he was given the opportunity to be on the field because he has a plus plus skill and that's 40 stolen bases Acuna is right behind him at 35 and then there's a wow. big jump at 35 um you wander franco 25 wit 23 carol coming in at 23 as well but I think the next conversation you and I want to have is the elusive 40-40 club, 40 home runs, 40, 40 stolen bases. Acuna, two more home runs tonight, puts him at 19. So he's on pace for a 40-40 season. And I, I think you have a great statistic to throw out there for us. Yeah, and on top of that, right? Um, well, this was when he was before his two home runs when I got this stat actually doing homework, which is crazy, but... Um, he became the first player with at least 15 home runs and 30 stolen bases in his team's first 70 games, obviously the first half of the season since 1900. So no one in the past 123 years has started off a season with stolen bases and home runs as well as Ronald Acuna Jr. And we talked about this at the very beginning of the season. Stolen bases and small ball is going to be a massive part of the game, just how you had just mentioned that. And we are seeing it from the gentleman in Oakland. I forget his name, who you just had brought up. He's making money for himself. You're looking at it, and we'll get to the standings in a second, but you see the standings, the Mets, the Padres, the Yankees, I know Judge is hurt, but these teams that were so accustomed to hitting the long ball and looking for the exit velocity and the launch angles and all this stuff that you and I and I had you break down for me last year, it doesn't 
translate as well with the new rules, with the new base paths, with everything going on in Major League Baseball this year. And selfishly, I think it's been great thus far, right? I'm, I'm watching more games live than I ever have before as an actual fan, not just to do things like the podcast. And it's because I can put on a Miami Marlin game and actually be entertained. Whereas last year, unless Al Contrera was on the mound, who's having a bad year, which is hilarious. Um, I wasn't watching them play. Well, yeah. And you know, to, to highlight exactly what you just said, Matt, um, look at, look at the diamondbacks, right? Corbin Carroll gets called your guy. Yeah. You start you start to see the evolution of this team kind of around him as the focal point and as the leader of this team, a guy that will probably project out to be a 30-40 guy, 30-30 most definitely, um, if he can continue the power throughout the rest of the season. I think he hit his 16th tonight. It was either 16th or 17th home run tonight. That was the question about Carroll coming into the year. Will the power translate from the minor leagues to the majors? It had not in his short stint last year. Well, lo and behold, he is the whole package. And the Arizona Diamondbacks are a fast base stealing team. Kettle Marte rebounds from a few years of struggling right back to the predominant, dominant second base uh, player that he had been for a few years when he signed his contract. You have two elite level players on the team. You have speed integrated into this team, and they are playing at a higher level than the Mets, than the Yankees. Teams that you just said have relied heavily on the big boppers. And I think that is truly the beauty that we're seeing. But kind of translating in back into the big boppers and that 40-40 club, we're talking about Ronald Acuna entering into a club that has Hall of Fame pedigree, Barry Bonds, Alex Rodriguez, Jose Canseco, Alfonso Soriano, guys that when you look at the 40-40 list, you say undoubtedly superstars of their era, usually Hall of Famers. Some of them, obviously, like Canseco, Bonds, and Rodriguez had you know performance-enhancing issues there. Um, but just kind of translating them into the raw data, you look at Acuna's savant page, it is a total different classification than it was for Arias. Acuna in the 98th percentile of hard hip, 98th percentile of max exit velo, average average exit velo, he's in the 100th percentile, K rate, um, 94th percentile, barrel rate, 91st percentile, sp uh, sprint speed, only the 69th percentile, which actually leads into the idea that Ronald Acuna is just a very savvy base runner. When you look at Ellie De La Cruz and Corbin Carroll kind of in that 100th percentile, you see the raw speed. They don't need to be um, as accustomed to gauging a pitcher, his movements. And it looks like Acuna at 69 is really just a guy out there that knows what he's doing. And then you look at the arm strength, 99th percentile. He had one this past week uh, from outfield to home plate, 104.9 miles on the radar gun, which is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so point being here is we have guys like Arias and we then have guys like Acuna. They both fit in the same league. They both provide their teams immense value and they are completely different profile uh, players. That is what I grew up loving baseball for. You didn't have to be the freak athlete like Acuna is. You can just go out there and do the job at an excellent level and still be of benefit to your team. Yeah. So that brings up my question um, for you then is we're at the midseason point. We'll call this our midseason award question here. I'm just curious, who do you have then in the National League as your MVP? Are you taking Acuna over Arias? If Corbin Carroll and the Diamondbacks win the NL West, to me, most valuable player, strips out everything else around you other than what is your immediate impact on your team if you're taken away, I think the Braves still win without Acuna. I think the Marlins still win without Arias. Um, 
you take Carroll out of the Diamondbacks lineup and defensively, you're talking about a very different position here. Also, you're talking about beating the Dodgers, beating the Giants, beating the Padres. I still think the Padres have a hot streak here. I still think they're a competitive team in this division, which very well might knock out the Diamondbacks because of matchups and the way things play out on the season. We've been waiting for that to happen, right? <laughs> and we might be waiting all year, but to me, it's it's probably Corbin Carroll if they win the West. If they don't win the West, it probably goes to Acuna just off pure numbers. Judge won it last year off pure numbers, off historic performance. This will be a historic season if Acuna continues. And I think I'm probably putting a rise three because he's, in my opinion, going to hit about 360, 370. That should be the range. If he hits 400, that immediately pushes him to two. Now, if the Marlins can win a, a wild card spot, you're going to have a conversation that's very difficult. And I think you'll see that within the vote. Um, if the Marlins can win a wild card spot, the Diamondbacks win the West, and Acuna goes 40, 50, 40, 60. I think what we're going to have is uh, an MVP within five votes um, because people aren't going to know who to give it to, and it's going to split it up. Yeah, and, and it'll go down as one of the best races of all yeah. time. You know, it'll go down as some of those years that Bonds didn't win the MVP because there was other individuals Jeff putting Kent. A, Jeff Kent <laughs> in. Um, I, was it? It wasn't Bagwell. Someone from Houston won one year when they were still in the NL. And as we were kind of going through that, like it, it'll be an all-time list. Which I mean, obviously, both of us are hoping for. It's more fun that way for podcasters and, and fans. But um, okay, cool. So you got you've got Corbin Carroll, yeah, who you just at the beginning of the year were like, oh, I'm going to take him as rookie of the year. Like he's going to be the NL rookie of the year. He's going to be great. He's going to do all this. And sure enough, he's leading the Arizona Diamondbacks. To a well, division title and, potential. And Matt, I, I, want you, one. I want you to think just about bronze MVP in Milwaukee. Uh, similar market, right? Smaller market. You know, Phoenix, sure. Arizona is, is a little smaller. bigger, but yeah. Um, a little bigger, yeah. Uh, they're they're going up against the Giants, the juggernauts, right? We're gonna talk about run differential here in a little bit. The juggernauts of baseball. And to win the NL West, something that I again re re will repeat this again, said jokingly the Diamondbacks might have a shot. Really didn't think there was a shot. And my thought sure. was if Carroll comes out and performs at his peak projection, hell, they might have a shot if they can somehow figure out some pitching. Um, they've done it, right? And it's it's halfway. We've seen teams implode. But oh yeah. You don't an injury away on the yeah. staff. There's all sorts of stuff that can happen, a hundred percent. Absolutely. I just think Matt Olson, right? Marcelo Zuna, Ozzy Albies. Um, you know, the list goes on, you know, Sean Murphy at the catching position, Spencer Strider, um, you, you the shortstop who played for the Brewers, who's Orlando Arcia, yeah. Max Freed. You've got all-stars all over the field. You look at the Diamondbacks, Christian Walker's nice. Kel Marte's really good. <laughs> I but, just noticed they had Evan Longoria on their team. I was yeah. like, I was watching a little bit of a Diamondbacks game. I don't remember who they were playing. I was watching them the other day and I was like, oh my God, Evan Longoria's. Oh, they're playing the Giants. I was like, Evan Longoria's on the Diamondbacks? Are you freaking serious? Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. I was like, look at this team. Veteran presence, right? And that's the concept from roster construction, which is, hey, we got to bring this guy in. We're, we're building a, a younger team. We're changing the approach. Like, let's have some veteran presence in here. And Longoria has been very, very good for them. Like oh, for what yeah. you paid him to do, he's doing the job and he's exceeding it. So it's a very exciting race. Um, but let's transition to the Otani conversation because yeah, we're not going to get to all of these leaderboards, but we are highlighting the ones we're excited about. Uh, I just wanted to real talk really quickly talk about strikeouts. 
Uh, Otani's on this list as well. Strider, obviously, continuing the dominance we saw last year at 146. Uh, the coming in second, Kevin Gosman, big time successful acquisition for the Blue Jays at 139. Does have a couple blow up games this year, and if he didn't have those blow up games, I think we'd be talking about him as Cy Young of the AL without question. Um, coming in third, though, there's our boy Shohei Otani, 10 tonight, 10 Ks. That is 127 on the season. And then let's quick translate right up to the other two leaderboards for Otani. Uh, home runs, 28 on the year. Matt Olson, 25. Back to our Acuna conversation. Alonzo, 24. And then runs batted in. Otani is also leading now at 64 RBIs on the season. Um, Adolis Garcia coming in at 63. He will play into our run differential conversation in a little bit here. Matt Olson also coming in at 60. And we did pick him as a dark horse MVP. Um, <laughs> you know, it's really... Uh, Queen is kind of killing that for us. Uh, so is <laughs> Corbin Carroll. But uh, Matt, Shohei Otani, it, this is just incredible. And you have one more statistic for us um, to highlight this incredible performance. Well, he blessed me to give me two because I had one coming into the episode and it was before this Angel game just went final, probably like, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes before we started recording tonight. And it was just the fact that since 1900, um, he's also the first player to have a share of MLB lead in homers hits and batting average allowed as a pitcher. And that's minimum 70 innings pitched that was coming into the start tonight. And so what did he do tonight? Oh, he just threw seven fantastic innings, 10 K's and hit two home runs in the game tonight against the White Sox being the sixth player since 1893 six times we witnessed it tonight that someone has done that in a single game so the legend keeps on growing he is by far the best player in baseball he's running away with the al mvp and i once again i watch i've been watching way more angels games because i'm trying to enjoy this Otani experience, especially since I live in California. So they're on late and in my market, quote unquote, even though I don't live in OC anymore. And it's just unbelievable. Every single day, every single time he's at the plate, something amazing can happen. It reminds me of prime bonds. Sorry. It reminds me of prime bonds. It reminds me of Ken Griffey jr. As a kid who's my favorite player to watch. It reminds me of even prime Mike trout when the angels were on living here in OC. It was like, I want to watch trout have an at bat because he's going to do something amazing or he's going to have a pro at bat. Um, what he's doing on a nightly basis right now is is something special. Enjoy it because it's not going to last forever. Like he, he's going to slow down. Maybe it'll be four or five years from now, but th this will be we'll be talking about this on the pod in five years saying, remember that. Remember the good old days when Shohei was hitting two home runs and striking 10 guys out. This It's not going to happen again. It's unbelievable stuff. Well, I think we threw the statistic out there a few weeks ago. He is one of the only players in history to have um, opposite field home runs in the same game at 116 miles an hour off the bat. And that's important because we talked a lot about Elliot De La Cruz and what he was going to be projected to do at the major league level. And we're seeing it play out in front of us from the, the statistical data, as well as the athletic data that he is showcasing on the field from sprint uh, speed to exit velocity. And Otani's ability to hit the ball the opposite way at a 116 exit velo is unheard of. And the best clip I think I saw over the last month or two of Otani was a two-seam fastball thrown about four or five inches inside the plate uh, to him being the left-handed hitter. And he took it to right field for what looked like a base hit. 
And the pitcher just had absolutely no understanding of how he hit it. And if you play baseball or played baseball and you've ever had a two seamer thrown at you, you'd also understand that's almost impossible when the ball is breaking away from you. Just what Otani does, the way his body and his movement is, the way his swing path ultimately brings him through the zone, essentially takes away any advantage for the pitcher. You can't pitch him inside. You can't pitch him outside. You can't pitch him up. You can't pitch him down. And to the point of like watching this throughout our, our life, we've gotten to see now Otani bonds, right? Just in baseball. We've got to see, see LeBron James, Kobe Bryant in basketball, Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady. There's just this plethora of all-time greats. And you're right. I think we will look back in five to 10 years and just remember the days that Otani led the league in RBIs, in home runs, is in top five of strikeouts, ERA, which he's not right now, but he very well could be at the end of the year. Um, just absolutely dominating. And to finish this, Matt, he is just counting his dollars. He is just sitting uh, on a plethora. He's, he, he's looking at like a $600 million. Contract. It's growing. It, it's, it's, it's growing. It's, it's, it's awesome. Honestly, you know, we'll, we'll see what the angels do. I'm sure they'll find a way to screw it up. Um, any other leaderboard stuff before I get into some of the standings? No, I, I think we kind of got a, a good gauge as to what's going on around the league. The last one I think I want to um, highlight is just a couple of pitchers. Shane McClanahan leading the league in wins. Mm-hmm. Um, did have the the back injury this past week, leading the league in ERA at 223. Um, and then a name that I, I'm just I'm excited about for for himself in general is um, our boy Marcus Stroman. Nine wins, tied for fourth, uh, third in ERA, 224, leading the league in quality starts at 14. This was something that we highlighted last year with Framber Valdez, who I think had 27 last year, which is an incredible number. Uh, Stroman's on pace for 28. So just incredible for Stroman, really making himself, I think, a payday at the end of this season. Um, I think he's on his contract year. If not, he has one more year with the Cubs. This could be a name, as we talked about, trade deadlines that could be moved and could provide a huge benefit. But more importantly, really happy for Stroman. Um, and doing it again, kind of like the Arias. He's undersized. Everyone has always said he will not stand the test of time in Major League Baseball, have a short career, his velocity will drop. He's proving everybody wrong, and he's doing it in the Windy City. Yeah, loved him in Toronto. Uh, loved the signing for the Cubs. The, he's kind of single-handedly keeping the Cubs afloat. Um, also, you know, I like both of their signings with Bellinger and Dansby Swanson, who's also... It's worked out for them, you know, as we talked about in the offseason, not to deviate too much here, but... Hey, spending money on quality veterans is never a bad idea, right? Moral of the story there. Yeah, you overpaid for them a little bit, but your team kind of sucks. So you got to get people in the stands and you got to be competitive. Um, Yeah, love Stroman. I'd love to see him get to a contender. I'd love to see him get to a contender come a month from now. Um, I really didn't even think about that. That's a great point. Speaking of contenders, Matt. This is the part that I kind of want to have a little fun with here. I, I was looking at the standings, getting ready, doing some content for the podcast and whatnot. And I was just looking at some things. We're at the midseason and a couple of things popped out to me when looking at the standings. Actually, it was one specific stat, and that's the run differential right now. And there's two teams in particular with massive run differential leads in their respected division. One is the Tampa Bay Rays with Shane McClanahan, as you just mentioned. And the other team is the Texas Rangers, who went out and spent all that money last year and this offseason um, with both with run differentials over 146. Tampa Bay is at 146. Texas is at 152. And that got me thinking that seems insane, right? Like that number is huge at this point in the season. So what is the record 
for the biggest run differential in Major League Baseball. It got me thinking. So obviously we got the internet. Look it up. 1884, Matt, the good old year of 1884. The St. Louis Maroons had a run differential of 458. Now, do I think our teams this year are going to beat that? Now? <laughs> so I was like, let's get a little bit more realistic, because as I started going down the list, what had come to find out is only two teams since 2001 basically we'll say 2000 have gotten 300 or more in run differential. The first team was in 2001, the Seattle Mariners team that won the division best season in franchise history. And then last year's LA Dodgers, the LA Dodgers had 334 in, uh, plus 334 in run differential. And I really think both of these teams have a chance to do it. They've been playing great. Offense has been fantastic. Tampa's slowed down a little bit, but not to the point where I couldn't see them, you know, getting to 300. So my question for you, Matt, with that stat is if you had to choose Texas or Tampa, who are you taking to get to 300 plus in run differential? I'm going to take Tampa and it's, it's more because I just cannot take the Rangers. Um, the loss of DeGrom is huge, right? For those of you listening that are trying to maybe understand the run differential concept and how it works, it's really simple. It's do you limit runs and do you score more runs, right? That creates the differential. As you win, those tally up. So for me, it's really important because the loss of DeGrom, as well as the velocity dropping off for Nathan Avaldi, which if you look at his last three or four starts, he has been losing velocity. And this is something that we had concerns on with Avaldi signing was overall arm health. If you look at his career, he always comes out at the gate really hot, and then his arm kind of tires as the season goes on. That's a concern for me because Ovalde's been absolutely lights out this season. You know, we could see a loss in velocity and still an uptick in production, which is absolutely possible. Um, but you still lost Degrom for the year. And what does Degrom do best? He goes out seven innings, two runs, ten strikeouts, limits those runs, allows your offense to pile it on and continue to create space for your run differential to continue to accumulate and climb. So it's more or less that the Rangers, I feel like, are going to continue to score runs, but that differential probably will not continue to escalate as quickly as it has. Now, with the Rays, you're talking about their ability to do everything properly, the explosion of a Randy Rosarena, as well as the expected production from Wander Franco finally coming into his star-studded ability, Luke Riley coming out against right-handed pitching and playing really well. Uh, the numbers go on and on for this offensive production, but also having Shane McClanahan in that rotation, having Taj Bradley, the rookie, come up and hold down a rotation spot as the injuries have been widespread. If you remember, Jeff Springs was a guy a month into the season that we were harrowing as possible Cy Young winner with his production, and then boom, he goes down to Tommy John. You also lose Drew Rasmussen, who they acquired from the Brewers a number of years ago. Um, who also six innings, always out there, usually two runs, limiting runs. They've lost two huge names in this rotation, and Taj has been able to come in and kind of hold it down. Today, he did kind of have a clunker. Um, but I would take the Rays as my ultimate leading because while they may have those injuries, they are the absolute best in the league at finding people to come in and still fulfill the job at maybe 80% of that production of lost value. And I think their chances of 300 are looking very good if I had to choose one of these two. 
Yeah, as much as I'm digging Corey Seager, Simeon, and the boys out there, like I think they'll do their part. But that was my when I did the analysis of the of the roster, it just came back, and I know that's probably a casual take, but like it is just the truth, right? It comes back to Degrom, it comes back to the starting rotation, and even if McClanahan's out, let's say a month and a half, right? Um, which is I don't think he'll be out that long. They still have the rotation and the pieces in the bullpen to do. What do they call it now when they don't do a starting pitcher? They do. Uh, what, what What's the term that they use now? They don't have a starter. They have a. Well, uh, when they when they when they bounce the reliever in for two innings. Um, yeah, I forget. Yeah, I can't. I forget. It slips my mind as well. I forget the name, but they, they have the ability to go and do that, as we saw two years ago, when that's literally all they did when they only had glass now. Um, so. I, I mean, the Rays are a well-oiled machine. I think they're a bona fide World Series contender. And Bochi and the Texas Rangers are still a kind of a prove-it point for me personally. Well, and we talked, Glasnow's a great comment because he completely slips in my mind. He had five innings, 12 Ks just the other night, right? You're talking about right. when when healthy, arguably He's unbelievable. the most dominant per pitch in the in the game. Um, health is key, right? Same thing with DeGrom. But... I think ultimately what what's exciting for me is there's two different approaches here. There's there's the boppers approach, right? For the Rangers, which is Seeger, Semyon, you said it, Nate Lowe, who's having a great season, Mitch Garver, um, Heim, the catcher who has now taken the job from Garver. You have an outfield of Duran, who's come out of nowhere to hit 290 with eight home runs. Uh, Tavares, who finally is living up to his prospect pedigree, hitting 290, also eight home runs. Like the entire team is performing. That's not even mentioning Josh Young, the rookie, who has 15 home runs and, and also hitting 290. Everyone is performing. But do they have the pitching? Do they have the depth? That's the question. Um, I will be absolutely floored if they can hit 300 uh, run differential at the end of the season because I do expect them to overcome some of these things. And then finally, Matt. This is prime trade target market for me. Like we talked about it last week. Go get go get Stroman, right? Go get Bieber. Like just completely empty the tank and go get these guys. And if you do that, you're talking about prove it team to, okay, who's going to beat them in the AL, right? Who's going to really beat them? Can the Rays really overcome a great offense and a great rotation? Because right now it, the Rays are the favorite. Yeah, for sure. And just to put the nail in the coffin on that super competitive division, you go get Bieber, you go get Burns, you go get Stroman. Um, that rotation second to none, not only in the AL East, but the entire AL. And you could probably make the argument for the entire MLB, right? If they went out and got one more guy and Glasnow was able to put it together after um, rehabbing that a or the ACL, the Tommy John um, from what was that two years ago now? Huh? Wow. Um, well, either right, he, had Tom, he had Tommy two years ago. Yeah. Two years ago. It was a lad injury coming into the season. It's okay. It's always something, but it's, he's, not, he's always hurt. Yeah. We talk about with DeGrom though, right? Like you, you pitch better than everybody else. Your spin rates and your velocity and your break is you're putting you know, too much on that forearm yeah. and elbow. Like it when just is just, what it is. When you're yeah. that far ahead of everyone else, the body just can't do it. But you're right. You, either one of these teams goes out and adds a Corbin Burns who is, you know, going to be under contract next year, you're talking about an incredibly big jump. Um, and from the Rays perspective, you expect to have Springs back mid next year from the Rays Rangers perspective, you expect to have DeGrom back for the playoffs next year. Like you're just adding to the tool chest. And I, I really hope we do see a rotational bump from one of these teams. 
Okay, let's get to the AFC North here. So um, before we get into the teams, as we're getting ready, doing some homework on this, I do I do want to get your thoughts just on the division in general. I've got the AFC North chalked up best division in football. Straight up. I think top to bottom, they have the best division. I think all four teams are potential playoff teams. Yes, even the Pittsburgh Steelers. But from the best to the worst team, I think they have the most competitive division in football this year. What do you think about that? So I would say three of the four teams, I think all have a legitimate shot at winning this division. All of, three of the four teams have a legitimate shot of going, say, 12, 13 wins this season. Um, obviously, there are some variables that we'll talk about when we get into these teams. I will tell you this, Matt. You take Mike Tomlin out of the equation for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Right. Take him out. He's not the head coach. I think they could be fighting for the number one overall pick. Um just looking at the roster, like when we will get into that, but because of night, Mike Tomlin, to me, he's automatically plus two wins, maybe three, maybe even four wins. What he means to this team, because we've seen it over the past few years, like his ability to go 500 or better is just at an elite level. He's an <laughs> yeah. elite head coach. Yeah. And I think he's going to win some games this year. Like he does every year that probably shouldn't go their way, but a lot of question marks for the Steelers. Number one being their quarterback, their running back, their offensive line, their secondary, their linebacking group outside of Watt. Um, A lot of question marks for me, but Bengals, Browns, Ravens, a lot to be excited about. Yeah, I think the second closest division is the AFC East now with the addition of Aaron Rodgers to New York. Patriots being on paper, the worst team in that division. Yep. Um, And then obviously you have the AFC West, but I think... Vegas and Denver are both too big of question marks, more Vegas than Denver with Sean Payton. And I agree with you. I think I've got my top three quarterbacks. My top three coaches in the NFL are Belichick, Andy Reid, and Mike Tomlin. I think they're the undoubted tier one coaches in the NFL. And that is the reason why I have Pittsburgh um, favored as high as I do, even with their pretty weak roster, as you had mentioned. But with that being said, we'll break it down. We'll start with the best team in the division from last year, the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, obviously, they're bringing back Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. They did lose Hayden Hurst um, in free agency this year, which I did think was kind of a substantial loss. But I do know um, that they did replace him this year with Irv Smith Jr., who I know you're super high on. Um, but Hurst's connection with Joe Burrow was was good last year, but... Burrow's a stud. Um, They did upgrade the offensive line with Orlando Brown coming over from the Kansas City Chiefs. He's already talking all that shit. Um, And then at the end of the day, um, they didn't really lose too much outside of the safety position uh, in free agency this year, which I think that's going to be the biggest. That's what I have right down uh, on my list as the biggest question mark is that defensive backfield for Cincinnati. But other than that team, I mean, it looks fantastic again. Yeah, Dax Hill, one of your guys, right? Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, big draft series guy that we went into detail with. So he's got to step up. Like second round pick, this is the time. Bates is gone. He is in a position where he's got to be the leader of that safety group. And then um, 
Awazi. I always butcher his name. It's I think just, it's Awuzie. Is it is Awuzie. Gosh, I'm so sorry, Awuzie. Um, <laughs> returning from the ACL, right? We had talked about last year when he went down, how big of a loss that was. Yeah. Because he had a good postseason run just the year before, and it really left that secondary kind of in shambles with question marks. And Apple, after his injury, really was showcased as being kind of who he was in the secondary, which could be a liability. I think the the linebacking group can be a little bit um, weak at times. That's just something that I think comes with the territory of having this money ultimately being spread around as they're not bringing guys in to fill those roles, especially guys that we have accustomed to know by name. Um, defensive line is still a strong suit for them. Really like that Jonah Williams is going to get an opportunity to stick at right tackle. Prove it year for him. I'm pretty sure they did not pick up his fifth-year option. So obviously with the addition of Orlando Brown coming in and being the guy for the future to stabilize this offensive line, They've spent a lot of money on the line. Williams is going to get the opportunity to go out there and get paid. If he has a big season, you're talking about both of the tackle positions being locked up and being pluses, as well as having all of the money on the interior of the line also being big-priced uh, guards who you've they also spent money on. So we could go from them being a liability to them being a plus-plus at the, the offensive line, allowing guys like Irv Smith to really make a bigger impact. Because when I think about Hayden Hurst, he's great at sitting himself in his own coverage, uh, picking up that third down, being a reliable target. Irv Smith is more of the athlete. And I think we could see a lot more spacing with him, ultimately opening the door up for Higgins and Chase to kind of have big years as well. I love what they have on paper. I just have those question marks in the secondary as well as the linebacking core. Yeah, but they were able to retain their defensive coordinator too as well, which was massive for them. Uh, I forget his name, but they he had a bunch of interviews. Um, throughout that the coaching hiring cycle so they being able to retain him is massive but at the end of the day matt like i i firmly believe they would have went to the super bowl if they didn't lose those three linemen in the last two games of the season and then that first playoff game against baltimore losing three starters in three weeks was detrimental to their long-term success um i think joe burrow is a top three quarterback in the nfl right now and then being paired another season with more experience with jamar chase his guy and t higgins i you know they're going to be a top three top five offense and if i'm not a hundred percent sure on the whole joe mixon situation i know he had some legal troubles this offseason i think a gun was fired off at his house i don't know what the ramifications will be there i haven't seen anything with the suspension but they're a Dude. well-oiled machine over there. Um, it was bad, Matt. Did you, it was. Do you remember the kids in his neighborhood were like playing, yeah. like paintball or like they were playing like uh, Nerf? Or it was something? pretty bad. Yeah, and like gunshots. Were oh fired. man. Yeah. So that that could be something. I'm pretty sure they lost Samaji P Ryan. So um, TBD on that. We're obviously recording this in June, so plenty to come there. But that if they can sure up mix in. Maybe we'll see how much he gets suspended, but if they can have a decent running game, they don't they don't run a lot, but they need a good running back for sure. Um, moving on to the Ravens, who were second in the division. I mean, they did a lot of things, and we're going to check all the boxes, but they got their guy. They re-signed Lamar. He's happy. They bring in Odell Beckham Jr. off the ACL in the Super Bowl two years ago. They draft Zay Flowers in the first round. Um, obviously, they still have Mark Andrews on the team. They still have my guy, Rashad Bateman, who I'm just waiting for to break out. Um, their offense, to be honest, I don't think they have any more excuses unless injuries plague them, which happens in the NFL. But there's no excuses anymore for Lamar in that offense. They have a solid offensive line. J.K. Dobbins should have a very, very good this very, very good year this year coming off um, a full offseason rehab with the ACL from two years ago. 
Well, I think we all oftentimes talk about this. If you're not Adrian Peterson, usually it takes two years for you to get back up and running at full strength. Uh, Gus Edwards, yet you know another addition back to the backfield, coming off either his ACL or his Achilles. Pretty sure yeah. his ACL. Um, so you, you have your backup running back finally back there to protect Dobbins with snap counts. And you said it, man. He they got Lamar, but more importantly, this is going to be the best wide receiver room he has ever had. <clears throat> And I think we are underselling the fact that Lamar Jackson could come out and have a historic season if he's healthy. Hundred percent. Because if Odell is even eighty percent of the guy we saw in the Super Bowl, you have an elite level wide receiver. You have Zay Flowers, who doesn't have to have the pressure on him to go out there and carry the offense like Marquise Brown did when he was a rookie. Bateman could see a massive jump in production because yet again, not having to be the guy to save the wide receiver room. And then you have Mark Andrews paired with Odell, who is going to alleviate a lot of that. Um, limited production. This could be an absolute dynamite season. And I think it's the opportunity that the league has been looking for to finally announce Lamar as that top five quarterback that we have been fluctuating back and forth as the injuries yeah. have incurred. And the contract talk has, you know, kind of bogged him out of that top five. Um, I'm very, very excited for the Ravens. I'm very excited for Lamar. If, if he can't get it done, I will have some question marks. Um, but this is it. They've given him everything he could ask for. And, you know, kind of in our notes here, you know, they have a decent defense. Like you're talking about the number one. I'd say better than decent for sure. Most definitely. Number one middle linebacker, top 10 cornerback, right? Um, uh, Rush end, like everything's a plus here. There are some question marks because it's the NFL, but this team on paper looks like it could challenge the Bengals and the Browns for a possible division title. Yeah, I agree. They still have in the secondary Marlon Humphrey, uh, yep. an aging but good Jimmy Smith, a second year Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, who had a pretty solid end of last year. Uh, you had mentioned Owe as well on the defensive line, who's poised for another good season. And at the end of the day, it's still the Ravens with John Harbaugh. So when you have the Harbaugh at head coach with this culture, they're going to have a good defense. Roquan Smith leading the team throughout the the offseason they're they're going to be fine defensively um it's the similar to kansas city or sorry similar to cincinnati but unfortunately for the ravens they haven't proven that their offense can keep up with a weak secondary if you know they play the Bengals and jamar chase goes for 200 on them so um their their question marks stem in their secondary but i'd, I'd have to agree with you matt i think this is lamar's biggest chance with his best offensive unit that he's had yet as a pro and now he has his money so he hasn't doesn't have any excuses not that he ever was a big excuse guy but this is his year to go out and shine and if he does get another injury or odell and bateman can't stay healthy um gonna have to do a lot of soul searching in baltimore i hope that's not the case though um anything else on these guys before we move to your browns um i'm just i think ultimately like you have a backup quarterback here. How many teams in the NFL have been striving for a backup quarterback that knows the system that can deliver the Ravens have that. And they have yeah. a foundation of players now that should be able to squeak out a win or two. We've even seen him win a couple games. So I'm not as concerned with an injury here or there, because I think Lamar might just be the Aaron judge of football where it's like, okay, he's, he might be down for a week. He might tweak the MCL, right? Like especially too now as he gets a little bit older, but on the flip side of that, he now has the weapons where he shouldn't have to run the ball 12, 15 times a game. Exactly. Like, Lamar should turn into what Vic was in the second half of his career, which is, hey, if you give it to me, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it responsibly. I'm going to protect the body because I know on the next snap, I'm going to have an opportunity to throw it to four elite level talented players. 
as opposed to, oh my God, Hollywood's 80 yards down the field. I think he's, I think he's running <laughs> towards Andrews the tunnel. Is triple covered. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. I, I hear you. Actually, we're going to not do the Browns yet because they took last in the division last year. <laughs> we're going to go to those Mike Tomlin Steelers. Um, couple fun moves that they made this offseason, right? They picked up Allen Robinson. I think that's an awesome spot for Kenny Pickett and himself, just being the third wide receiver, right? Like he's he's gonna be the number three guy behind Deontay um and George Pickens. They still have um Fryermuth at tight end who had a fantastic year. I thought Pickett looked good. Right. Like I thought he looked fine at the end of last year. A lot of room for improvement, but a lot of po- a lot more positives from him than a guy like Malik Willis. Right. Um, obviously, we have Najee. I know he's coming up on a contract year here, too. So there's a lot of question marks with the Steelers. But I think in my opinion, maybe I'm just a little bit more optimistic about the team. I do know their roster overall is probably the weakest out of this entire division. I mean, not probably it a hundred percent is the weakest out of this entire division, but at the end of the day, as we mentioned at the top, like with Mike Tomlin with a really, really good defense still, as long as TJ Watt, um, and Oh my God, I'm blanking on the safety's name. Minka Fitzpatrick. Minka Fitzpatrick. Thank you. Um, stay healthy. They, that's a fantastic nucleus on defense. Uh, the Steelers will be a problem, but at the end of the day, it's going to be on it's going to be on Pickett. Can he throw the ball and not turn it over? Because that was his big problem. He threw a lot of interceptions last year. Yeah, and it's hard for me. I I really want to start um, sitting from a perspective of you know what I've said before with Tua and other quarterbacks. Give him time. Um, and sometimes there's Zach Wilson. You know, the truth is sometimes it's sure. not good. Pickett to me last year was very underwhelming. But the key that I have listed here is this offensive line is just not good, wasn't good. It was a big problem for Najee last year too, right? You're talking about a guy that was being hit almost immediately in the backfield. Um, His contact per touch was down because of that. And they have the addition this year with the uh, right tackle, left tackle pairing from Jones from Ohio State. I think that'll help. At least they've given reinforcements to the offensive line. You know, he is a rookie, so we have to be mindful of that. But at least it's an upgrade. And Pickett being in year two, he should have learned and developed a few things from year one, as you said, of like limiting, eliminating mistakes, adding Allen Robinson, a guy that knows how to sit in zone coverage, a guy that knows how to play football at a pro level, adding to the bigger body room that is Pickens already, I think will help him. And then Fryer Muth is a huge piece. You talked about Andrews with Lamar. And then lastly, you have Denzel Washington, right? Coming out of Georgia, the very prolific uh, athlete that he was. Very limited in experience as well, but could be worked into the offense a little bit. Did you say Denzel Washington? Is it not Denzel Washington? <laughs> no. What is his name? It's Washington. <laughs> it is Washington. Denzel Washington is the uh, actor. Yeah, the elite um, level it's actor. Darnell Washington. Oh, same thing. Darnell, Denzel. <laughs> I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see what he looks like out there for sure. I'm excited to see his next movie, dude. I mean, you know, that's what's all all that matters. (laughs) Moving on to the Cleveland Browns. Um, What what do you think they're a top three offseason with some of the signings they've had? Quiet. Quiet offseason. Elijah Moore, Sedarius Smith. Like, yeah, those aren't box office guys. I think Tomlinson's a big one. Tomlinson's a big one too. The, you know, those aren't those aren't box office guys, right? It's not Aaron Rodgers, you know, the clear winner of free agency or of the offseason is the Jets. They upgraded from the 32nd to the sixth best quarterback in the league. Um, 
But that defensive line, if Z can stay healthy with Garrett, man, I think I think Zadarius is a better counterpart than um, Jadavian Clowney ever was for Garrett. Yeah, what I would agree with that? that. I think Clowney, you know, the questions about his motor coming into when he was drafted kind of played true in his entire NFL career. And it, what blows my mind is that you're talking about a team that didn't have a pick until the third round. Um, and foundationally, they picked up Tillman at the wide receiver position. That should help in the developmental role. You know, Moore is going to be the slot guy, so you don't have to put any pressure on him to come out and play right away. Um, I, I'm just blown away that this roster is constructed in a way it is without picks. Yeah, And I think that's just a testament to what they've done leading up to the Deshaun Watson trade with building a roster with, you know, the question mark being that quarterback position and, and why I think they were so comfortable going out and giving up so much and paying a guaranteed contract because they knew we've got everything covered, you know, kind of translating this to baseball talk. It's almost like the Braves. It's like, we've got everything good. Our cap is solid. Like we are in a window of five years knowing we've got a team that can compete for a Super Bowl if we can just get the guy. So my only question is which which Deshaun Watson do we see, right? Full off season with the team, OTAs, training camp, like he's starting week one. Do we see the Deshaun Watson that looked lost out there last year? Or do we get back to the Deshaun that was yet again, a top five arguable quarterback in Houston oh, and yeah. pairing with that defense, it could be a very scary sight because I mean, looking at the secondary, you have two cornerbacks that I would argue are top 20, possibly argue top five, you know, adding in, um, Dunlap, who LSU strong safety was argued top 10 pick before he had a, a really poor final year at LSU toward the ACL. He's back and healthy. I think that talent level is still there. And then Tomlinson from Minnesota shores up the middle. I love this lineup on paper. And that's what scares me because I said the same thing last year about the Chargers. Yeah, 100% everything. Like, honestly, the, the biggest weak weakness is an outside linebacker, but like outside linebacker isn't the biggest priority in today's NFL and especially when they have Jeremiah Owosu Karamora still can't oh, yeah. get that name too well um he's kind of that hybrid guy anyways they have him listed as the middle linebacker but he's kind of that hybrid safety linebacker who's all over the place ended up being a fantastic pick even though he Steel. dropped couldn't tell you why I was yep. all about him um but you look at their offensive line defensive line you look at their weapons they you know we can get into the weapons debate here obviously Cincinnati has the best but these guys stack up Elijah Moore <laughs> Amari Cooper Donovan Peoples-Jones who had a really nice year it is a really nice two or three they still have Njoku um obviously didn't even we haven't talked about him yet Nick Chubb top three back in the league they're stacked dude and first kind of debate question I want to get into here is say Watson's back, right? And we get the Deshaun that, you know, Cleveland traded for all those picks, all that money, the biggest guaranteed salary in NFL history. Like if, if Watson's all the way back, he's having a better season than Lamar. Yeah. Like that's, that's where I, that's my, that is my expectations out of him is he's back. I we're talking MVP caliber season here. Yeah. I, okay. Let's, let's stack it up though. Right. We're going to look at Amari Cooper and we're going to look at, I'm going to say Mark Andrews, even though he's the tight end position. Sure. Um, I'm probably taking Mark Andrews. Um, See, I'm not. Okay. And I listen, I, I always undersell Amari. Amari, when you actually pull up his football reference and look at his numbers. He's unbelievable. He's unbelievable. Yeah. He really is. Um, it blows my mind that he's still the same age as Calvin Ridley, which is like, what, 28 years old. It feels like he's been like 12 years. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah i mean Kel, he's a he's a number one 
wide receiver. Like he really is. And he's proven that. And then people's Jones, like, I always think it's funny. He looked good with Baker Mayfield. And if you can look good with Baker Mayfield, oh God, you must be pretty decent. Um, but the, the real question is like Zay flowers for me. This is like, this is the key variable because for I sure. think we know what Elijah Moore can be. I think Elijah Moore can be a 1200 yard wide receiver. I, I think he can be an absolute elite level slot guy. I think he has 100%. that talent. Do we see that? That's the question, right? Um, do we see even the target share there, even with an elite level Deshaun, I think Zay flowers is going to be a special player. If Lamar has an MVP type season. Sure. Man, I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you no. I think Lamar at his best is better than Deshaun at his best. Okay, yeah, I think Lamar is a little bit more electric. But if if we can get back to Deshaun Watson zipping the ball around like he was in Houston, granted he did have DeAndre Hopkins right that year before um, all the BS kind of went down with him. But I, I'm I'm really high on Amari Cooper. I underrated him too too hard last year and to your point about dpj looking good with baker mayfield the year that amari cooper had last year with jacoby Brissett, and then eventually deshaun watson i i don't think it can be understated how well he played and how good he was running yeah. routes in cleveland and he was outside of chubb he was by far their second best player so um i i like them there i i'd lean i'd lean Deshaun Watson over Lamar. I, I'm talking obviously at peak MVP performance here. Like coming into the season, if you had to put a gun to my head, who do I think is going to play better? It'd be Lamar. But if we get the Deshaun we're looking at here, you know, we're talking 40 plus touchdowns. We're, we're looking at an MVP guy. It's hard for me because I, I want to agree with you. It's just it's been like, a long time. Though. It's been a long time. And yeah. I think back to a lot of the Houston games where we saw Deshaun doing things where you know, it, three guys draped around him, falling down, hitting, you know, Hopkins or Brandon Cooks for a 30 yard dart, scoring a touchdown. And you're just like, how is he doing this? And it's like, well, you don't often find Lamar having to do that because Lamar's creating separation with his legs. Not that Deshaun can't, but there was just a lot of Houdini work from Deshaun in Houston that concerns me um, as he gets a little bit older because it's been a two and a half year window since we haven't seen Deshaun play. I think I would I would agree with you though. If you're seeing peak peak, Deshaun is special. Yeah, very good. He he's really good. Um, similar to Burrow though, you know, and we haven't talked too much about the Bengals. And I, you know, coming into the season, I've got Kansas City number one in the AFC. I've got Cincinnati number two. I think they're at an absolute collision course for another rematch in the playoffs, whether that's in the AFC championship game or um the round before. What what would you say slows down that Cincinnati offense? If if they were to take a step back this year, why would that be? Um, Mixon. Um, and I, I think the same thing could be said hypothetically for the Browns. You take those elite level backs out of the equation, it's a different offense. And Mixon put it everything aside, he's he's an elite level back. And we saw that kind of play out in the Super Bowl when he wasn't given the opportunity to be that guy when he should have, when P. Ryan got the call. And I, I'm just concerned with depth. You know, like P. Ryan was a big piece of that offense as a, as a spiller guy. Um, and both of these running backs are coming into the season as just the one RB, right? And the league has transferred over to a two RB set for the most part. So I think you take Mixon out of the equation and you force Joe to pass there could be some concerns. Now the offensive line is better. So I think he will still continue to have success, but definitely depth at the running back position. Yeah. I'd agree with you there too, because 
as a as a fantasy owner for Joe Mixon last year, I didn't think they gave him enough run as is. And what happened in a couple of the games, and unfortunately for them against Kansas City, is the line fell apart. And what happened when the line fell apart doesn't matter how good Higgins and Chase are because they're not necessarily the gadget guys that'll get open over the middle. They you know need a couple seconds to get open with their deep routes. Obviously, I know they can run slants and different things like that. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. I'd say it's Joe Mixon. It's obviously the offensive line and staying healthy. Well, and and the other thing that came to mind was what can stop the Bengals? Well, to me, it's the Browns. If the Browns hit, if every position on paper plays at their peak level, it's going to be very hard because you're talking about having a secondary, having a pass rush, having an offensive line, having the third best running back in the game, having a top five quarterback, having a plus wide receiver room. Like the Browns on paper are the best team in this division. If you took out recent knowledge of how good the Bengals have been and everything else, like the Browns do not seem to have a vital hole. The Bengals, as we talked about, have some weaknesses. Yeah, I'd agree with you. It's surprising to look at, you know, it's June, but it's surprising to look at this Browns roster and be like, I might be picking a lot of guys in the Browns fantasy, you know, (laughs) like, man, I wouldn't say a lot, but like, I wouldn't, I'm not afraid to take any other wide receivers, you know, within reason and within context. I'm definitely not afraid to pick Deshaun Watson this year. Um, and from a defensive perspective, like I'm not big into oh draft this defense, but I'd feel confident with that unit starting them in fantasy, obviously against teams that aren't the Cincinnati Bengals. But, um, you know, starting them against the Steelers, I'd feel pretty damn good. That's for sure. Well, let's think about recent memory, right? Like before Deshaun got there, it was OK. This team has a lot of potential, but Baker's at the quarterback. Can he take the next step? He was not able to. And then the Deshaun trade happens and this question of like, how, how long is he going to be suspended for? Can he even talk to us? Can he be in team facilities? Then he gets suspended. So coming into the season, it's Jacoby Brissett, right? Like the outlook doesn't seem too good. And then everything always falters. Garrett's not playing at a high level or Denzel Ward struggling. Um, I, I think if they can just all come into camp, finally united and in the right mindset, you might start to see this, this, this foundation that was laid come to fruition. It'll be really exciting. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I don't see it happening, to be quite honest with you. Yeah, but, I don't either. <laughs> um, I, I think if there's any team that like in this, in my it's not even a sleeper team, but if, if there's one team in this division that graduates to the next step, it, it's the Baltimore Ravens. I, I just mm-hmm. don't see any other team. I still think the Steelers and Pickett are a couple years out. He doesn't have that raw natural ability as a quarterback to you know make elite throws not that he can't or didn't last year but he doesn't have that same zip on the ball on that same i'll just say quarterback savvy that some of the other quarterbacks in this division and obviously in the nfl do but it's it's this is you mentioned earlier this is the make or break for lamar jackson and my expectations are through the roof for him i need him to be a you know four thousand yard passer you know, 30 plus touchdowns running or sorry, passing and, you know, a cool 10 rushing, you know, or 40 passing five rushing, put it in Dobbins hands. And that's the other thing too, like initiate Dobbins in the offense a little more. He looked phenomenal last year, even on a what 75, 80% knee. I think it's the Ravens. This is their biggest year for John Harbaugh for Lamar Jackson. Like jobs are on the line this year in Baltimore, a hundred percent. 
Well, and I just kind of wanted to throw this out there too. You think about the target on your back. You think about Green Bay. You think about the 49ers, the Chiefs, just in the last three-year window. Um, Eagles, even last year, right, as they started to really see the success and the emergence of Jalen Hurts as an elite-level passer, top 10 quarterback. And outside of Patrick Mahomes, pressure does not do well for teams. We talk about the Chargers last year in the offseason they had. And I think- Denver, right? I think you look at the two teams, the Ravens and the Browns in this division, who are overshadowed by Joe Burrow and the Bengals and the expectations that are the Bengals. They're the, you know, they're gonna get to the AFC championship and play the Chiefs yet again. That's not just your opinion. That's the opinion I think of national media. It gives a really huge benefit to Lamar and the Browns. They get to sit back with less expectations, work on the actual details of the job, go out there, perform. And they get to allow the Bengals to be the guys all season where in the national media, it's like, oh my gosh, can you believe the Bengals are, you know, three and four or the Bengals are only three and three and the Browns haven't, you know, they've lost one game or Lamar Jackson is electrifying the NFL with all of his new weapons. And I think that's a benefit to everyone in the division because they get to have the focus taken off them. I totally agree with you. I totally agree. Um, We're up to 60. I think that's good for today. We will come back to more football talk. We'll find a lot more baseball talk. We got the all-star game coming up pretty soon too, which will be fun to chat about. Talk about home run derby, who we think are going to win. In the meantime, you can always catch our clips on TikTok and Instagram at PitcherBetPod. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.